Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 18th of July, 2012, and, uh, we, and we are in the still water meditation hall of the upper hamlet. And this is uh, the second week of our summer retreat. And today we have a session of uh, questions and answers. The children will have uh, time to ask a few questions, maybe three or four only. And uh, the children are invited uh, to come sitting close to us and wait for their turn to sit on that chair to ask uh, their question. And after that, the teenagers are invited to ask their questions. And then the young adult and others will follow. We know that a good question can profit many people. A good question. And that is why we should ask the real question, the question of our heart. A question that has to do with our suffering, our happiness, our practice, our difficulties. And if you are a little bit too shy to come up, we can write down the question on a piece of paper and ask someone to bring it uh, to Sister Pai and she will read it. We know that a good question does not need to be a very long question. And our practice is that uh, before we ask the question, we, we breathe in and out three times with the bell so to calm ourselves and the whole Sangha will breathe with us. So there will be peace, calm, mindfulness, and everyone will listen to the question. You might like uh, ask, to ask your question in French or English or German, Vietnamese, And if you, uh, you ask a question in uh, Spanish, uh, Chinese, or Japanese, you have to bring your own translator. So those of us who have uh, a question are invited to come and sit close to Tay. And we will take a turn to sit on that chair so that everyone can see us before we breathe in and out three times and ask the question. The English-speaking children can come close to Thay also, even if they don't have a question to ask. Those who have a question, they will sit on this side. Children, we encourage teenagers to come, young adults. Come and sit down. Teenagers, young adults, and adults. This is a happy moment. Last week, uh, many children came, and the first question they asked is, How are you, Thay? (laughs) Someone is brave to come up and ask, the first question. Let us uh, breathe 
in and out with the bell. This is the first question. Hoe voelt het als je dood bent? How does it feel when you are dead? question is, uh, after you die, do you still have feelings, right? How do you feel when you have died, died, right? This is a very uh, good, deep question. Suppose uh, you ask uh, the cloud that is uh, floating in the sky, The same question. My dear little cloud, I know you will die someday. You will not be a cloud anymore. So what what is your feeling now? And what is feeling after you die? After you die, do you have any feeling? Hmm. We ask the cloud. And if uh, we listen Carefully, we may hear an answer. Do you think that a cloud is afraid of dying? You are there floating in the sky, and but you know that one day you will have to disappear. You have to die. The same thing is true with a man or a woman. This is a question not by a child, but by a philosopher. And if the cloud knows how to practice meditation, who knows? The cloud will find out that it can never die. It can never die. Because to die means you become nothing. From something, you become nothing. That's, that's what we mean by dying. You are there, and suddenly you are no longer there. That is to die. But is it possible for a cloud to die? Is it possible for a cloud to become nothing? No. A cloud can become rain or snow or ice or fog, but a cloud can never be nothing. So the human being is like that too. It looks like we die, but in fact, we cannot die. We continue always, not in this form, but in other forms. Can you see that? In fact, there are many clouds in us. Everything, every day, we drink a lot of cloud. Here is a cloud. I am drinking a cloud. 
So 70% of my body is cloud. <laughs> and if the cloud does not die, I will not die. I continue always. So when you are a cloud, you feel as a cloud. But when you are no longer a cloud, you can be the rain, and you feel as a rain. So there will be feeling also after you after after the cloud become the rain and after the dissolution of this body you don't feel with this body but you feel with other bodies that follow remember it's impossible for something to die <clears throat> that is the teaching of the buddha and not only the buddha Many scientists have seen that. There is a French scientist who say, nothing is born, nothing dies. His name is uh, Antoine Lavoisier, Laurent, Laurent Lavoisier. Rien ne se crée, rien ne se perd. It means nothing is born, nothing dies. Because... Uh, that is applied to the cloud. The cloud has not been born. Because in our mind, we think uh, to be born means from nothing, you suddenly become something. But the cloud has not come from nothing. Before it was a cloud, it had been something else. Like the water in the ocean, the heat generated by the sun. So before it was a cloud. It had been something else. It has not come from nothing. Therefore, we know that it's impossible for a cloud to be born. It's uh, impossible for the cloud to be to die. And a human being like is like that. You have not come from nothing. The moment when you were born, you oh, you you had been already there. Before your mother conceived you in her womb, you did exist, half in your father and half in your mother. And the half of your, in your father beat the half of your mother and become a little you, very tiny. So the moment of conception is not the beginning. There is no beginning. There is no end. So, uh, so uh, your nature is like the nature of the cloud. No birth and no death. Don't worry. And meditation helps us to see the nature of no birth and no death and remove the fear of dying, the fear of non-being. And this is a very deep teaching of the Buddha. And when you grow up, you continue to meditate and will you touch the truth of no birth and no death, and you no longer have fear. And scientists have already discovered the same truth. This morning there was a, a question in the bell. Do, what do you think about the Big Bang? Big Bang is the beginning of uh, the world. 
But in this uh, teaching, in this uh, practice, there is no beginning. If there is a big bang, and then there will be a big crunch. And this is a, a very interesting subject for meditation. So people invented the theory of the Big Bang because they feel the need of explaining how the world begins. But if they touch the truth of no, be, no beginning, no ending, they don't, need, they don't need to create a theory like that in order to explain because uh, if you, you think there is a Big Bang, you have to believe in the Big Crunch. And you violate the law, of the first law of thermodynamics. You, you, you violate the law. Nothing is born, nothing dies. Yeah, we have to continue to meditate on this subject, which is very deep. So my question is that there is a feeling when you are a cloud, there will be feeling when you become the rain. There is feeling when we have this body, there will be feelings after you take up other bodies. Okay? Mm. What a question. Je demande pourquoi est-ce qu'il y a des fois où on se sent seul et qu'on a l'impression qu'il n'y a plus personne qui nous aime. Why is it that sometimes we have the impression that we're all alone and nobody loves us? That is only a feeling. And maybe uh, a wrong, wrong feeling. Suppose you think of uh, the tree, the tree is standing outside, and the air, the fresh air outside, and the sunshine outside. Do you think that they love us? The fact is that they love us. The trees are giving us a lot of uh, love. They have their beauty, their freshness. And they help um, create uh, oxygen for us to breathe. So the trees are truly loving us, supporting us. We cannot say that the trees do not love us. The fresh air also, they love us. And then every morning you have the bread to eat, the muesli to eat. And they offer us, they offer themselves to us. That is loving. You might have seen uh, um, people who have never said, I love you. But in fact, 
because they are so busy. In fact, they, they love you. Somehow they love you. I have a teacher. When I was ordained as a novice, I, was, I had a teacher. He loved me deeply, but he never said, I love you. And that is uh, the old way. If you pronounce the word, I love you, um, uh, well, it seems that something is lost. The love is very real. And if you say it out, uh, it's not uh, as sacred as uh, it was. Sometimes we feel very thankful, grateful, but we don't say it. We want to express our, our, our uh, gratefulness, our uh, <coughs> our happiness uh, in other ways. We don't have to say it out. So that is why uh, we should not uh, think that no one pay attention to us, no one uh, love us. And uh, maybe other people can feel like that. Your mother, your father, your friend, your sister, your brother may, may feel that you don't love them. But in fact, you care for them. You love them. If they, if they think that you don't love them, that's wrong. That is why you should take some time to look at them and smile and say, Dear one, don't think that I don't love you. I love you. I do love you. And that is why Thầy has uh, taught the first mantra and the second mantra. Uh, We have to practice the first mantra, the second mantra. We have got the time to practice the first mantra and the second mantra. And that will help the other person not to feel that we don't love them. Darling, I am here for you. Darling, I know you are there and I am very happy. And that will help other people because there are people who feel the same. They feel that nobody loves them. In, in fact, many people care for them. And that is why not only the children have to practice the first mantra, the second mantra, but the adult also. We should take time to practice that mantra, maybe several times a day. D'accord? Bonne chance à toi et à moi. <laughs> Les ados.
J'ai entendu dire que certaines personnes n'étaient pas d'accord pour jouer à un jeu qui s'appelle loup-garou. Parce que dans les enfants, il y a des, des adultes qui disent que c'est un mauvais jeu, qu'il ne faut pas jouer ici, parce qu'on joue avec la mort et que ça ne va pas. Et d'autres personnes disent que c'est très bien parce que c'est un jeu et que, que c'est ensemble. Et donc, euh, moi, je pose la question si c'est bien ou si c'est pas bien et quel enseignement on pourrait tirer de cette dispute. So, dear type, um, our friend is saying that there's a, a certain game that some of the, the young people like to play called Lokeron. Uh, and some of the adults said that the, the young people should not play this game because it has something to do with death. And other people say that it can be a good game for them to play. So um, how can they resolve this question and what kind of teaching can be helpful to, to help them uh, understand about this? I don't know if Sister Hangim, do you want to say more about the game? Okay, this is just a simple game or you have to, uh, to choose at the end of the one party who you want to kill <laughs> into a part of some special characters like uh, witches or like... Um, and in that people you have a traitor and that traitor is hide and is the werewolf. So you have to kill people and hopefully you have to kill the werewolf. So this is why some people don't like children to play that games because you have to kill each other and choose who you want to kill. And uh, you have to defend yourself. I'm not the werewolf, please don't kill me. <laughs> and all the children together have to say, this one I think is the werewolf, we should kill him. <laughs> and maybe he's innocent. So, and this game is like, all the werewolves win and they kill every people normal. All the normal people win and they kill all the werewolves. Thank you. Can you help uh, answer that question for Thai? Maybe. Thai Pháp Lưu also. You kill or you pretend to kill? You really want to kill? Microphone for Sister Hai Nghiêm. So, uh, I have played this game in the past. <laughs> So I, I feel that I, I know a little bit of the spirit of when we play together this kind of game. Um, I feel that something that is fun in playing this game for children or young people is uh, um, that we take roles. Either we are an innocent villager, or we are a werewolf, or we are a witch, or we are a little girl. Um, and obviously, um, in these roles, there there's the good and the evil, and uh, the innocent people they they represent the good and they want to save their lives. And um, the werewolves, they, in this game, they represent the evil and they want to make victims. 
Um, and there are also some rules in this game where you can actually save the lives of people or you can... Um, um, you can act in a way which will kill more people at the same time. And, uh, of, of course, it's pretending. You know, we don't uh, actually make victims, but uh, it's just a way of saying that some people get eliminated from the game. And uh, in this game, there has to be a lot of talking together to convince the others that you are not a werewolf and you shouldn't be killed. Um, so um, sometimes if you are a werewolf and people want to kill you, then you lie because you say, no, no, I'm not a werewolf, don't kill me. Um, so I, I think that sometimes you, you sort of play with fire in this game um, by your way of you know, lying or, or trying to kill someone who is actually innocent. I think that's something we can learn from uh, a game like this is that uh, that we can have roles together when we are in a community but it doesn't have to um, it doesn't have to become so um, so violent um, maybe you could Maybe the children could think of a game which is similar to the werewolf where you have to discuss together and you also have roles, but maybe you won't have to kill people. Maybe instead of that, um, you can make projects or um, you can gain some wisdom together or, or, or also save um, the the weaker, the needy. Mm. I hope that Ty will contribute something more. Mm. <laughs> I think uh, uh, the children can sit down and discuss about this and come to a conclusion. And you can, uh, if, a, a, if a game uh, does not... Uh, is not approved by a number of people and then we can change the way of playing so that everyone can accept. You know, I came from a country where the killing took place every day, every night, and many people died. One side was the communist and one side was the anti-communist. And they killed each other every day, every night because they think of the other side as evil. And the suffering went on for many, many years. That is a game, a horrible game. So our thinking about good and evil is very important. Don't, uh, don't, don't, don't try to say that this is evil. And if something is evil, we have to kill. Don't think like that. Suppose someone is sick. He has a kind of virus 
virus, um, bacteria that make him very sick. And we want to we want to help him or her. We have to kill we have to kill the disease, the sickness in him or her, and not kill her. Right? You have to kill the virus, the bacteria, and not the person, right? So when someone is violent, because someone is um, injured, someone is a criminal, is a criminal, we should not try to kill him or her, but we try to kill the, the violence. The anger in him and her. Not to kill. And that is why during the war in Vietnam, they wrote a song and asked the young people to sing on the street. Our enemies are not men. If we kill men, with whom shall we live? Come a folk song. And that is why our principle is that no killing. We don't kill any people any person, even if that is a, a terrorist or a criminal. We want to kill the wrong, wrong perception and the, the, the ignorance, the hate, the fear, the violence in him or in her and not to kill him or her. And that's why you have to create a kind of game where we don't kill the person but we kill the, the evil in that person. That, that evil is uh, violence, anger, and hate. But you have to, to be very skillful in order to, to kill um, the violence, the hate in a person. And with the practice of um, mindful uh, talking, um, mindful listening, you can help a person remove anger and violence in him or her. You cannot do that with guns. That is the first thing you have to learn. Never kill a man, a woman. Only kill the evil in him or in her. But you don't need a weapon in order to, to kill. You need uh, the practice of compassion, listening. And that is the first uh, part of the answer. The second part of the answer is deeper because you know that nothing is born, nothing dies. That is why you cannot even kill anger. You transform anger into something else. Like the, the, you cannot kill a cloud. You can help a cloud to become rain. So anger, violence, there is a way to transform them into something else that are more pleasant, like uh, compassion, understanding, reconciliation. And that you can do with the practice of meditation. That is why we are here to learn. Even we don't even kill, uh, even we don't even want to kill anger or, or hate because we know that nothing dies. But we know that we can transform anger and hate into something positive, like understanding and love. And in Plum we, we learn 
how to transform anger into compassion. We learn how to transform uh, violence into gentleness. And the children can, can learn. And when they go back to school this September, they know how to deal with the, the, the children who are violent and have a lot of anger in them. We don't want to punish them, to hit them, but we want to help them to be less violent, to less uh, angry. And you can learn that in Plumlish. And you can, can help uh, your fellow students in the class. Ask uh, your mentors here in Plumlish how to do that. And create a kind of games that can, that can help us to learn. This person, this guy, is supposed to be evil. And people say that we have to kill them. Can we kill a person? No. We have to help him or her not to be violent, not to be um, angry. And how? So we can create many kinds of games. There are plenty of games, beautiful games. Why don't we, we spend our time playing in such a way that we can learn, learn more? Thank you. I think that's enough for children. So when you hear the bell, small bell, you may stand up and salute the Sangha and go out and play. Thank you, dear. Room up here. Rooms up here. Je pense qu'aujourd'hui, il y a beaucoup de gens qui ont peur du silence ou qui n'aiment pas le silence. Enfin, ils ont toujours la musique allumée, ou la télévision, ou la radio. Et euh, je, je me demande si ça veut dire qu'ils ont peur d'être euh, avec eux-mêmes. J'ai l'impression que maintenant, il y a beaucoup de gens qui ont peur du silence et qui préfèrent mettre de la musique ou de la télévision or something to uh, occupy the, the space. And I want to know, is it because they're afraid to be with themselves? Yeah, there, is, uh, there may be a feeling of uh, emptiness. 
of uh, isolation, of uh, sorrow, of uh, restlessness in us. And when uh, they silence, these things uh, appear very clearly. The vacuum, the worry, the restlessness, the lack of love. You feel empty. There is no happiness. There is no feeling of uh, fulfillment. And many people in the world have that kind of feeling. It's empty inside. There is no love, no happiness. If you lack something, and there is sorrow, there is a fear, there is anger in us. And when they silence, all these things appear very clearly. They are always there. <clears throat> that is why many of us look, uh, try to, to consume in order to forget. Suppose you have some worry, you have some restlessness in in yourself. And uh, you are not capable of uh, handling that feeling of loneliness and restlessness. So you go and open the refrigerator and find something to eat. But you know that you are not hungry, you don't need to eat. You eat because you want to cover up the feeling of loneliness, restlessness in you. And you get fat after eating so much. (laughs) Or you play the music, or you turn on television, or you pick up a newspaper. And that's what uh, people in the world do when they feel empty in themselves. That's the collective disease of human beings in our civilization. So the marketplace, they provide us with every kind of means in order to, for us to try to forget the suffering inside, the loneliness inside. And among these items they sell for us to use in order to cover up the suffering, there are many things that have uh, toxins and poisons. And if uh, we consume them, uh, we get more loneliness, get more anger and uh, despair. Because many of the things we read in books, in magazines, many kind of things we see, in television, uh, we get from the internet, uh, give us more despair, more anger. So the situation becomes more and more serious every day because of our consumption, not in mindfulness. And that is why we need to practice the fifth uh, mindfulness training about uh, right consumption. We have to learn how to generate joy and happiness with the practice of mindfulness.
mindful breathing, mindful walking. They have to learn how to generate peace so that they have something good inside to be with. And in this moment, uh, silence will only help us to taste, to enjoy more the feeling of joy and happiness that we have uh, generated by our practice. Suppose I, I sit here and I pay attention to the sunshine outside, the beautiful trees outside, the grass and little flowers that are springing up everywhere. It's beautiful outside. It's summer. And our planet is so beautiful. And many of us do not have the capacity to get in touch with these wonders of life in us and around us. Because uh, we don't know the practice of mindfulness to bring our mind home to the here and the now and to get in touch with these um, nourishing and healing elements that can bring us joy and happiness. So you don't have uh, these beautiful things in us. We have only the negative things like anger, loneliness, and so on. It's possible to sit on the grass, to breathe, and to be happy. And then you can hear the sound of the birds, the music of uh, the wind playing in the trees. And these are very nourishing and healing. And not many people know how to do that. So the practice of mindfulness helps us to nourish us, to heal us. And then, and then uh, when there is uh, a uh, painful feeling arising inside of us, and if you know the practice of mindfulness, you don't have to go out and buy something and consume in order to forget. In fact, we know how to recognize the painful feeling, the painful emotion. We know how to hold it tenderly, uh, to understand it and we can begin to transform it into something more positive. Transforming the garbage into flour. And that is why we have to practice. So, in order to deal with uh, the collective suffering in society, we have to, to learn the practice of mindfulness. We want to take care of our body, of our feelings, of our emotions. And the practice of mindfulness helps us to, to do so. The practice of mindfulness can help bring a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness. The practice of mindfulness can help us handle a, a painful feeling, a painful uh, uh, emotion. And we can generate love, understanding in us. And we get the feeling of fulfillment. And we become uh, a source of joy and happiness for other people, for our beloved one. Because we have so many things to offer. And sitting close to us, they will feel peaceful and happy because we have the feeling of fulfillment. Uh, compassion and happiness in us.
And uh, during the practice, we need silence because that silence uh, helps us to come back to ourselves and to get in touch with our breathing, with our body, with our happiness, with our suffering, so that we can take care of ourselves, body and mind. And when we can produce uh, the feeling of happiness and peace, we can help the other person to do the same. We can offer the energy of joy, mindfulness, compassion, and helping him or her to suffer less. And helping him or her to to um, to uh, to generate the feeling of joy and happiness in him or in her. So that kind of silence is very fruitful. It's very um, uh, active. It's a very uh, eloquent. It's not the kind of silence that that uh, that uh, that represses you, represses you. It's kind of. Uh, Noble silence. Uh, in Buddhism, we call the silence uh, the silence of the thundering silence. It's very eloquent. It's very um, full of energy. Like uh, in the meditation hall, if uh, nine hundred people know how to practice mindful breathing in and out and generating the energy of mindfulness and peace, that silence is very powerful, very healing, very nourishing. It doesn't oppress you. That's called thundering silence. And with that silence, the children are happy, adults are happy. Not the kind of silence that oppresses us. Uh, In the family, if mother and father fight each other, they make the children suffer. And even there is silence, that silence is very oppressive. So with the practice, we can invent, create the other kind of silence. Like the kind of silence we feel when we hear the bell. If everyone uh, is angry, uh, is uh, anxious, and then when they sit together, they create collective anxiety, collective uh, anger. That silence is very, very negative. We cannot bear that kind of silence. It kills us. But when we know how to sit together and breathe together and generate energy of peace and relaxation and joy, that collective energy of silence is very healing, very nourishing. And therefore, we have to learn how to generate that kind of silence in our family, in our classroom, in the Congress house, in the town hall. If you are a school teacher, you should know how to generate that kind of silence in your class. You have a householder. You should know how to bring that kind of silence into your family to nurse you and your children and others. If you are the chairman of, uh, of the National Assembly, you can propose that kind of practice in order to generate that kind of silence. 
when I was in India visiting the the president of um, the National Assembly, I proposed to him the practice of listening to the bell, breathing and smiling in Congress. You start a session by mindful breathing and listening to the bell. And every time the discussion got hot, people are not capable of listening to each other anymore, and then you can invite the bell. And the whole assembly will stop talking, stop listening, and practice mindful breathing to calm down, calm themselves down. Mr. Narayan, who was a chair person of the Indian National Assembly, was very excited about that. And he tried uh, to bring that practice into Congress. So 10 days later, when I was conducting a retreat in Chennai, uh, someone brought me a, a newspaper. There was an article saying that uh, Mr. Narayan has uh, formed a community, committee uh, taking care of uh, that kind of practice uh, in Congress. And he asked the former Prime Minister to be chairman of that committee uh, called Committee for Ethics in the National Assembly. And we don't know how far they they have gone in the practice, but uh, very soon he became the president of India, so he could not could no longer be with the assembly in order to continue the practice. If you are a member of the uh, national assembly, you may try to <laughs> to persuade the uh, the spokesman, the spokeswoman. Uh, of the House, of the Senate, to do the same. This is a practice. And in fact, if you are a school teacher, if you are a, um, a director of a business, if you are uh, chief of an enterprise, if you are a head of a family, if you are the... Um, <coughs> The, the mayor, uh, you, can, you can very well create that kind of uh, silence where you work, and they will nourish you and your colleagues. So it depends on the kind of silence that we create. Dear Tidy Sangha, I have a question. Um, sometimes, deep down in my soul, I feel a crazy, really powerful energies, like something I can't really control. Um, I feel like, uh, like I have something really deep inside, or so shiny, so deep, so so strong, and uh, in my life before, 
that kind of energy is that I can't control it at all. And it makes me uh, in places or in, in, in situations that I can't control anything, really extreme. And uh, because that energy is so strong in me. And sometimes I even feel that victim of that energy. Because, uh, for example, if I want to know something about uh, the world, I go in a travel and I let that energy guiding me in that travel and I arrive some places where there's, it could be war or it could be really extreme things and I'm not ready to, to accept that. But I have my answer because my energy gives me that answer. Uh, I know it's complicated. But, um, and now I don't want to be the victim of my own powerful energy that I have the deep wishes of my soul. I want to be the one who directs that energy in one precise point. And I feel so small for doing that because the energy is so huge. I feel like the energy is all universe is in me and I don't know how to direct it as a human being in that society to a, a really clear point. I mean, in that world, like doing something for, for, for the world, for me, for, but something really concrete. And uh, I try to, to do mindfulness for doing that. I, I try to have deep breath and, and, let, and let things come in. But I want to know if Thai have some advice about that. Um, I hope I've been clear. <laughs> Thank you. Can you repeat? Yeah. Sum up? So, uh, to tie our friend, she says that um, she has some very, very deep and very powerful energies inside of her. And um, sometimes she feels that she is at the mercy of these energies. They push her to do this and that. And sometimes maybe not in the best uh, direction for her. And she wants to have more mastery of the energies. She wants to be able to have uh, more conscious choice about the direction and to focus the energies to do something concrete and positive. Mm. And she said that she tried to practice mindfulness and breathing with it, but uh, she still feels that she, she has not quite been able to master the energies and um, be, you know, be the master and not be pushed around. Mm. That energy is, uh, can be very strong and maybe uh, our mindfulness is uh, not uh, powerful enough uh, and we want to control. But the practice of plum is, uh, is not to control because if you want to control, you are suppressing somehow what you want to, to control. Mindfulness is only to recognize it as it is and not try to control. Uh, first of all, we use mindfulness of breathing and walking to recognize that, to say hello to it and not trying to 
to control, to suppress. And we should know that um, that energy might, might have been transmitted to us by our father, our mother, or our ancestors. That is what we have received also from, from our ancestors and our society also. So uh, we want to understand the source of that energy, where they come from. So we are interested in uh, recognizing and understanding it rather than to control it. And that energy may be a habit energy. The habit uh, that has been formed uh, during many generations, longer than uh, the period from our birth until now. That habit, that uh, pattern of uh, thinking, of uh, talking and of uh, acting, maybe may have been there very long already. So we have inherited from our parents and ancestors. So what we have to do is to recognize and accept it as it is. And if uh, we know how to accept them as they are, uh, well, uh, we feel better right away. And not to be eager to, to control. Or recognize. That is called uh, simple recognition. Breathing in and recognize it. And when you recognize it as it is, it cannot push you to do things that you don't want to do anymore. You don't have to remove it. You don't have to control it. You don't have to, uh, to suppress it. The fact that you recognize it is there as a habit can already bring you a lot of, um, of freedom. Uh, Twenty years ago, there was a young American practitioner in the upper hamlet. He was, uh, uh, one day he was asked by the brothers to go shopping for the, for the community. Because we were celebrating Thanksgiving. And uh, groups of people belonging to different nationalities are supposed to cook a, a, a dish to offer to the altar of ancestors. Like American would like to, uh, the group of American would like to, to make a pumpkin pie, which is something very American. And a group of Italians will cook an Italian dish. And all we will place uh, the offering on the altar of our ancestors. And uh, during the ceremony, we get in touch with our ancestors inside of us. So the young man was sent by the Sangha to the city nearby, to the town nearby, to do some shopping. 
and uh, he told us after that when he got to Saifualangkang, doing shopping, suddenly he saw that he was trying to, to shop, to do the shopping quickly in order to finish. The, 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 the eagerness to do quickly and to, and to finish with what he is supposed to do. But during the few weeks before, he did not have that kind of feeling. Because the stay in the Abhamlet, he was uh, embraced by the collective energy of the brothers, doing some, everything slowly, mindfully, and enjoy that. So during these uh, two weeks, he was uh, doing very well. Walking, uh, sitting, uh, cooking with uh, the brothers in the Abhamlet, he was able to do it slowly, mindfulness, everything went well. But when he was sent to St. Falagran, he was on his own. He was not guided and embraced, supported by the collective energy of mindfulness. That is why he lost himself. The old habit energy came back and pushed him to do the shopping quickly to overcome that. And suddenly he remember that he recognized that, that energy of uh, being in a hurry. And he suddenly realized that that's the way his mother used to be. She was always like that. So the moment when he breathed in and recognized the happy energy, he said, Hello, mother. I know you are there with your habit. Suddenly become keen calm again, and he continued to do the shopping mindfully, joyfully again. So it means that uh, that habit energy, once recognized, cannot push you anymore to do what you don't want to do, what uh, you don't want to say. Because many of us are victims, a victim of that kind of habit. There are things we don't want to say. There are things we don't want to do. We know that saying that, doing that, will bring suffering to us and to the other person. We know very well, and we don't want to say to do that. But when the situation comes, the habit energy pushes us to do or to, to say, say it. And after we have done it, after we have said it, we regret, we beat our chest, we pull our hair, and we say that I already knew that I should not do that, I should not say that, but why? I did it, I said it. So I promised to myself that next time, when a situation presents itself like that, I will not do like that, I will not uh, say like that, and you are very sincere. And yet when the situation comes, you do exactly the same. Again, again, over again and again. And that is the habit energy. And the practice of plumage is to use mindful breathing, mindful working to recognize that energy. Don't try to control it. Don't try to destroy it. Just smile with it and say, Hello there, my old 
uh, friend, I know you are there. You cannot push me to do it anymore. You cannot push you to push me to say it anymore. So simple recognition brings you freedom. And if you continue like that, your habit energy will transform slowly, slowly. And uh, if they, they are good energies, good habit energies, uh, we can help them to, to grow. And if in our life we, we have a purpose, we have a good volition, uh, uh, desire to, uh, to transform ourselves and to help uh, people to suffer less. Uh, we know exactly what we want to do. And then we nourish that kind of uh, willingness. And if uh, we maintain that, um, that intention alive, we remind ourselves of that intention every day. And then the, the other kind of energy can be used in order to nourish this kind of intention. That is kind of nourishment, uh, a kind of nutriment called uh, volition, good intention. So a person with um, a good intention to, to create a good energy for himself, for herself, and for the world, uh, she will be able to make use of every kind of energy in him or in her in order to serve that purpose. So the answer has uh, two aspects. The first one is uh, to recognize and the second one is uh, to channel it into the direction we want it uh, uh, to serve. Je voudrais vous poser la question suivante. Comment aider un proche à transformer sa souffrance lorsqu'il ne la reconnaît pas comme sienne Et je voudrais euh, apporter des éléments de contexte à, à ma question. Cette personne proche est mon mari. C'est le papa de nos trois filles. Et il est en grande dépression depuis euh, la fin du mois de mars euh, lorsque notre deuxième fille a eu un, un grave accident. Euh, notre deuxième fille, Camille, qui a 14 ans, a été renversée par une voiture, a eu un grave traumatisme crânien. Elle a passé deux mois dans le coma. Elle est miraculeusement en vie euh, et son état évolue lentement dans le bon sens. La sangha des pruniers a chanté pour elle pendant la retraite francophone et je vous remercie tous. Mon mari a beaucoup de peine et de colère euh, et il n'accepte pas cette situation qu'il trouve injuste. Euh, C'est une situation difficile pour tout le monde, bien évidemment. Je ressentais déjà chez lui cette, cette euh, souffrance, une souffrance, euh, depuis déjà plusieurs années avant, euh, qu'il exprimait sous forme de colère ou de mécontentement ou d'impatience et, et qu'il ne reconnaissait pas comme sienne. 
j'ai aussi ma propre souffrance que j'essaie de reconnaître avec mes propres moyens dans mon, dans mon chemin. Euh, et j'ai beaucoup de mal actuellement à, à, à accepter cette, cette grande souffrance de sa part et à, à savoir quoi faire. Et je souhaite vraiment que, que notre fille puisse euh, renaître à la vie et, et qu'avec nos, nos trois enfants, on puisse aussi euh, euh, pour, euh, utiliser cette situation et cette épreuve pour euh, tous renaître ensemble et mener une vie euh, plus sereine et avec plus de joie et de bonheur. Et donc, je répète ma question, c'est c'est comment aider un proche à transformer sa souffrance lorsqu'il ne reconnaît pas cette souffrance comme la sienne. So dear Tai, the the background for the question, she says, my husband, the father of our three daughters, is in a deep depression since the end of March this year. That was when our second daughter, who's 14 years old, had a severe accident, and he he was very close with this daughter. Um, the daughter had been hit by a car and had a severe uh, brain injury, head injury, and she spent two months in a coma. Miraculously, she is alive, and slowly she's improving. And the Plum Village chanted for her in May, and we thank you for that. So my husband has a lot of pain and anger, and he doesn't accept the situation, which he considers very unjust. I had already felt in him a big suffering before this happened for some years. Um, it would manifest in the form of anger, um, blaming, and impatience, but he never recognized this, and I suffered from it. Um, if our daughter can come back fully into life, I wish that this can make a, a new beginning for our whole family, to be able to live more serenely and happily together. And so the question is, how can we help someone close to us to transform their suffering when they don't acknowledge it in them? They don't see it in themselves. Maybe, uh, maybe someone recognizes Uh, recognizes uh, his uh, weakness, his suffering, but he does not say it aloud. And we think that he, he does not. He does not want to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to um, recognize <laughs> that he... Uh, But maybe he, 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 he may accept that he may be aware of. So we don't need to, him to stay out. I recognize that he, I have uh, suffering and, uh, and, and, and anger in me. We don't need him to practically say that. Maybe he, he has done it with himself. He, That's maybe out of our need rather than his need. Mm. 
Sometimes we have to use a skillful means in order to help a person. If you can help directly and you can help indirectly. Something we should not tell him directly, but someone else can help tell, tell him. Someone may be may do it better than ourselves. From time uh, to time, I have a disciple to be helped. But uh, they does not uh, try to help him or her directly because they know that that disciple has uh, a brother or a sister in the Dharma that can do it better than they. Because when you are of the same age, it's easier for you to, uh, to talk. So they uh, ask another disciple to go and help him. They doesn't have to do it directly. So there are friends, there are people who have the same kind of uh, wavelength length that can, uh, they can tell a story, that can uh, say something, and that can uh, bring that idea, that, um, that uh, proposal better than ourselves. We have tried a few times and we have, not, we have failed. So we can always uh, ask someone else to do that for us. We don't want to take credit. And sometimes uh, we tell the story of another person which are very much in the same situation. It's easier. So while listening to the story of that, the other person, ref- reflection can take place in him. Because it's easier for, 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 for him to listen to the story of, uh, of another person than his own story. So there are many skillful means in order to help a person. And uh, we, have, uh, we need to have uh, enough compassion. Uh, we have, uh, we need a lot of uh, understanding. We have to understand ourselves, and we have to understand the other person, his way, in order to open, uh, to offer the exact, the appropriate uh, uh, help. Uh, we have to be patient. And you have to be fresh and loving. A lot of uh, patience. And everything we do in the day, whether cooking, uh, uh, cleaning, uh, washing, can be an act of love, can be an act of uh, help. Our way of looking, our way of smiling, our way of talking has a role to play in that uh, attempt to, to help. It means uh, the way we are, 
the way we are live, we live our life is the foundation and not just what we want to say, what we want to, to do to help. So Thay also has learned a lot uh, being a teacher. He has to look into the person of each um, disciples and recognize the strength and weakness and suffering and difficulties of everyone and get an idea clear enough of what to say, what not to say, what to do and what not to do in order to help such a disciple and when to say and when to do. Uh, you have to look for the right moment, the right place in order to, to do it or to say it in order to help. Sometimes they has to wait three months. You have to give him, give, give her enough uh, space. You should not push because you understand, we see the suffering. Love is uh, patience. A patience is a mark of love. And uh, we have to love ourselves first. We can, before we can love the other person. We have to get enough uh, calm and joy and peace for ourselves. And the practice help. I, I had uh, a disciple who, uh, the nun who, uh, who, who got uh, arrested and put into prison because of her peace uh, activities. And in the prison, in the prison, which is a very difficult place to, to practice. She tried to practice. And the, the gods don't like to see her practicing sitting meditation. And he thinks that is a, 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 a... He sees it as a, a, a challenge a, against him. It, it, it means to him that uh, being in prison, I don't have to suffer. So when you practice sitting meditation in yourself, <clears throat> he understands that uh, you are defying him. So she needs to wait until the light out and not sit up. And she did uh, walking slowly in herself in order to nourish herself and so on. It was a difficult situation. But she knew that practice. And not only she can preserve herself in prison, but she could also help the other prisoners to suffer less. So in a difficult situation like that, it is still possible for us to practice to retain our hope, our freshness, our love, our patience, in order to be able to help the other person. 
One more question. Today we will have a walking meditation to the temple down on the hill. And uh, we shall have uh, some music, I hope. And uh, visit the exhibition of calligraphies and have our picnic lunch down there. And the, lo- and the new hamlet don't have to hurry because uh, the bus will come only at 4.30. Plenty of time to enjoy our picnic and uh, visiting around. Just to save time, I go straight to the questions out of my gratefulness. But I am um, a practitioner, and um, and I, I go to meditation to try to find peace. Um, but uh, I, I cannot uh, uh, do it yet. And um, uh, in my life, I try to to live mindfulness and. Um, and then to try to um, to let go on the disturbances uh, in 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 the very cha- challenging life, and um, and and try to to stay calm, but still uh, uh, many things are still affecting me to a large uh, extent. A lot of um, facts um, outside. Um, and sometimes I feel I am too weak um, to handle uh, some of my situations. Um, the same thing with meditations. I, I, I try to meditate. Um, and, um, uh, but uh, I, I experience that um, uh, there's always something either inside me or outside that... Uh, um, that I cannot concentrate on my breath, and um, and and I must say that I uh, I I feel like I almost fail on it. May, some people say that maybe I'm not ready to meditate. So uh, I would like to ask for Thay's um, guidelines. And my question is that uh, what happened you d- during meditation, and um, what can I do to continue or to improve my practice. Thank you so much. Yeah, so dear Thay, our friend, um, she's trying her best to practice mindfulness in her daily life, but she still feels she's very strongly affected and pushed by things that happen in various situations that are challenging that she's not really able to maintain her peace very well. And also in practicing sitting meditation, um, she tries her best, but she is not able to concentrate on her breathing because of many things happening inside and outside. 
and one person suggested to her that maybe she's not ready to practice meditation. So she would like to ask Thay's guidance about this. Well, for beginners, there's always uh, that kind of feeling that you cannot uh, practice well. It's like um, playing uh, tennis. Tennis. You have to spend uh, a few weeks in order to to get used to the game. So the practice of meditation is like that too. But uh, if you enjoy, you will learn very quickly. Because you, de- you think that meditation is something hard to do. That is why you cannot enjoy. You have, you have to meditate. You have to breathe in, you breathe out. You have to sit still. So you think that as something not pleasant. You have to force yourself to do it. And in that way, you cannot uh, advance easily. So the first thing is to, to make it uh, pleasant, whether that is walking, uh, breathing, or sitting. You have to learn to make it pleasant. And when it is pleasant, you can be with it more, much more easily. It can be nourishing and healing. And you will miss it if you don't have the chance to do it. Now those of us who need sitting, need breathing, and need walking. We cannot be without these because they bring us uh, relaxation and peace and joy. So the first thing is to try to learn to meditate in such a way that uh, the practice can be pleasant, nourishing and healing, not something you have to do. The second thing is you have to be with a group of practitioners. As you are a beginner, the collective energy of a Sangha will help you to practice better. And you see everyone sitting and enjoy breathing in and out. Everyone is making steps happily, joyfully, and then you rely on that collective energy of joy and mindfulness in order to breathe and walk. So, so you need a Sangha, and you should learn to practice with a Sangha to profit from the collective energy. So dear friend, when, when you hear the bell, please come to the bell tower, and we will start from there walking down. Three, uh, the last bus will leave the before to love uh, to to uh, to leave the for the new hamlet as at three o'clock, not three to three o'clock. So we still have plenty of time to enjoy our picnic and exhibition. <coughs> 